This is the Average Guy Network, and you have found Home Gadget Geek show number 413, lucky number 13, recorded on August 22nd, 2019. Here at Home Gadget Geeks, we cover all the favorite tech gadgets that I News reviews, product updates, and conversation. We some food reviews and some serious beer stuff tonight. All for the average guy. I'm your host, Jim Carlson, broadcasting live from the Average Guy.tv studios here in a beautiful Bellevue, Nebraska. Mike, fall, we've been talking about this for a while. Fall is hinting. We've had some little, some heavy rains over the last couple of days, but pretty nice to kind of think. We may see some leaves turning and a little cooler weather than the crazy hot we've been having. Well, not without one last day of summer, though. We had that day two days ago, and it was 90 degrees and 95% humidity. (laughs) It was awful. You walked outside. It was like you took a hot shower and then put clothes on right away. It was just, it was awful. But thunderstorms rolled through, and yeah, now we're having that beautiful fall, mid-70s, mid-80s, right around there, and lower humidity. Pretty nice here in Nebraska. Of course, we post the show with world-class show notes each week, and there'll be some couple good ones out there tonight, all at The Average Guy. TV. Don't forget, you can join us live on the mobile app if you are on the road. Best way to listen is through the app. It's free on Android or iPhone. Download at homegadgetgeeks.com and uh, easiest way to listen. It's free, just an easy way to do it. You can watch us on live or on YouTube. Subscribe while you're out there, whatever. And uh, we'd love to have you do that as well. Join us in the Discord group, theaverageguy.tv slash Discord. And then on Facebook, theaverageguy.tv slash Facebook. Get all those in. And uh, love to have you out there as well. Cody Wheat is with us tonight. We've been talking about him on the show a little bit here and there. And Cody's uh, crossed my path a couple times through podcasts and podcast movements. He's the host of Shots of History, which he's been doing for a couple years. Cody, you've got 99 episodes now. Welcome to Home Gadget Geeks. Thanks. It's a pleasure to be on. It's really good to catch up. Yeah, it's good Good to have you on. I uh, remember a lot of years ago when you called in to ask the podcast coach and you were talking about, yeah, could I start the show? And we're like, yeah, start it. And when you got done, I was like, that sounds really, really interesting. And then you ended up really doing, I mean, at your first season or so was a lot. If you go back to your, again, shots of history, I recommend everybody listen to this thing. This is a awesome one to binge on because it's pretty evergreen. Uh, the early episodes are really around kind of, U.S. history of alcohol around the whole prohibition era. What made you kind of, not every 20-year-old says, yeah, I'm going to make a podcast about the history of alcohol. What made you kind of do that? Yeah, um, it's a great question. I think really for me, and I think for most of the people, um, you know, kind of let everyone know, I I do now work in the industry. And so most of the people that I work with, we all talk about like, you know, did did you stumble into this or was there kind of a big aha moment? And I think the vast majority of people have that that moment. For me, I had an opportunity to travel internationally. I was in Hong Kong. I was at a bar called Ozone. If anyone's in Hong Kong, this is a bar you have to go check out. It's on the 119th floor Mm. of a skyscraper and it overlooks the whole Hong Kong Bay. I'm 19 at this point. So I'm basically drinking light beer and, you know, maybe whiskey gingers. That was about all I knew. And um, I went in and I was like, I don't really know what to order here. So I just ordered a whiskey sour. Now, my idea of a whiskey sour at 19 was Jack Daniels and sour mix. And that was what I knew. And needless to say, what was handed to me was something that was uh, crafted with a certain level of care that I had just not seen presented before. And from that point on, I was hooked and uh, came back home, 
my roommates were homebrewing and wanted something that I could kind of call my own. And so started to really dive into cocktails and got into the history of them. And, um, you know, mom and dad, when I turned 21, bought me a couple of books um, about the history. And I've, I've always been a history buff and really enjoyed it. And I think that getting to get back into history with sort of this tilt on it that um, also ties in an, another passion has been really, really fun and awesome. Yeah, my my entire knowledge of prohibition uh, alcohol history now is what you, you what you taught me. And that like I've never yeah. you don't study this in school. You don't. Yeah. Omaha actually has a really interesting prohibition history here. We won't get into that, but it's a super like a Midwest town. Weird things went on in yeah. the city during those years. But um, and, and so if you haven't, if you're into that, uh, you might want to go back and listen shots of history. You also might in your kind of your second and maybe third season, you really began to interview bartenders basically. Mm -hmm. Right. And, and yeah. some famous and some becoming famous, some have, have become famous. I think probably since you had them on the show as well. Mm -hmm. Um, tell me a little bit about why the switch from history then to interviewing kind of these famous bartenders. Yeah. Part of it is just logistical. Um, those historical episodes take a lot of time to research. Um, and I uh, was working still full time as I still am. And um, there's a lot of time that goes into it. And I thought, well, man, wouldn't it be great if someone else could provide my content instead of me having to constantly try and research it and, and do all this work? So um, that was sort of the first idea behind, well, maybe it makes sense for me to look at that and I, at the same time, was also starting to think, well, maybe I do want to leave the tech industry behind and maybe actually venture out and see if I could have a career in the wine and spirits industry. And I thought, well, what better way to get an in than to start talking with people who are in the industry? And it's a pretty easy ask to have someone, you know, hey, I'd like to have you on my show. You get to talk about yourself and share your own story. Do you want to come on? most people were pretty willing and open to, to say yes to that. Um, I also had it, it was working for me. That's a fairly friendly industry. It's a lot of outgoing people that choose to be bartenders and brand ambassadors and in these types of roles. Um, and then once I got started, I just, I, I, I love meeting with people and I love getting to talk with people. And, um, you know, now that I'm in the industry, it's a great way to network. So it's, uh, it's, it's rolled together nicely. I do have to tell you though, that the next episode, um, and the next couple actually that I have planned are, are going to be a little bit back to more of the historical slant. And, um, and I'm, I'm, I'm nervous, but I'm excited about them as well. Yeah. I, I learned a ton while you were interviewing them. Um, Sarah, my wife loves, she's a great bartender and she has kind of made up her own drinks. She has three of her own signature drinks that she makes and, and they're just, they're super delicious. They're family favorites, right, uh, that we have. But so as I was listening to each one of these these bartenders, and they're really, you know, they're really creative, right? I mean, this is the whole thing. You got to kind of stand out in your industry and, and, um, and be creative. It taught me a lot, much like, and we'll talk about it at the end of the show, but much like how I've kind of learned to cook again following HelloFresh recipes, mm -hmm. I kind of started thinking about cocktails more and more than just beer, you know, we always do the pre-show. It's beer here, and we're talking about it. It's great for the podcast. Yeah. Um, but I kind of started thinking differently about cocktails. Did that have a similar effect on you? And it had to, interviewing all these people. Certainly, you had to learn a ton through that as well, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. And, um, you know, it's funny. If we were having this conversation in 2005, the 
the industry as a whole was in a very different place. I mean, wine and spirits and the the job opportunities and the culture surrounding cocktails in general, it was, um, it, it really wasn't there in large part. It was there in pockets. Um, certainly if you were in New York City or San Francisco or New Orleans or maybe Los Angeles a little bit, you could find it, you know, in disparate areas. Um, and there was, you know, there's a lot of people who were sort of the early adopters and kind of the the godfathers, if you will, of kind of the modern movement who talk about, yeah, in 2005, we thought, well, wouldn't it be funny if we could go to any major city in the U.S. and like have a good drink and find a good cocktail? Well, you know, that'll be the day. And sure enough, here we are in 2019. And that's that's kind of what's happened. Yeah. Um, so I think I was also very fortunate that, um, you know, my, my timing couldn't have been better. What came back first? craft beer or cocktails do you think yeah so this gets into i mean you're starting when you talk about the history of craft beer um got to talk about one that was my dad's favorite which is sierra nevada um which was from from Mm -hmm. the from the 90s they really got the movement going um so i would say you know that kind of that early 90s was probably more where craft beer kind of got its start craft cocktails most people are going to trace kind of this modern revival back to uh one gentleman named Dale DeGroff, who is in his, I think he's in his late 60s now, and he's still slinging drinks. He's still doing it. Um, he's, and I had actually had an opportunity to meet him recently. He's an amazing, amazing man. Um, he was the one who actually was working at a place in New York called the Rainbow Room, uh, which was, became this very famous, very well-known bar. And uh, off of the popularity of the Cosmopolitan, from Sex in the City, um, he continued to really refine the Cosmopolitan and made it like a really, really stand-up drink. And um, and so that's really where it kind of begins. And then there's some other spots in New York that start opening up. Honey and Milk, or excuse me, Milk and Honey is another one that opened up. And um, you know, there's kind of this lexicon that we could we could run through of all yeah. the different spots that opened up. But craft beer really kind of had a, a hold first. And then now as we've you know, kind of progressed and seen the craft beer movement. There's a craft spirits movement that came behind that. And off of that, the the sort of modern cocktail renaissance has taken over. Mike, you and I are big fans of Brickway, another Omaha brewery. Um, Cody, we have, I think Omaha has got some really strong breweries here. They have, um, they have started doing spirits as well. And we were down at, um, hold on, let me think about this for a second. Sarah and I were downtown. Oh, we're at Havana Garage, and my smoking cigar. She was sitting with me, which was awesome. And they made uh, they made her a vodka tonic, and she was like, "This is really good." Where's the what vodka did she use? And they're like, "Oh, we use Brickway." So it was local vodka. Okay, we immediately walked right over <laughs> to the to Brickway, which is just the other side. I mean, it was just the other side of the block. And for for eighteen bucks, picked up a you know a pretty good sized bottle of of some locally made vodka. Is that getting more and more common? Do you think in in the industry where we're seeing a lot of local spirits that that are good enough to compete with some of the national brands? Absolutely, um, the number of craft distilleries has exploded. Um, so I want to say that as of 2000, I think the stat was in 2005, there were like 700 or so registered craft distilleries. And now there's about 2,500 at this point. Wow. 
Um, so you're talking about a lot of small businesses and these, and that's what they are at the end of the day. Um, it's one of the really cool aspects of my job is I get to talk with folks who, you know, they're doing it part-time or they're diving into it full-time and, um, and, and get to sort of help them grow their business and, and go from there. But yes, the, the craft spirits movement is, is very much alive and well. And I think that people are, are continuing to look for products that are well-made and that are, that have a unique story. Yeah. In the craft, uh, in the craft beer space. So you mentioned Sierra Nevada, which is so funny. Did, was that nationwide? Cause I, I was thinking back Sierra Nevada was definitely a big one. The other one that I always think of as like the popular first craft beer, uh, blue moon here was, was huge. I don't know if that was just a local thing around here or if that kind of took off nationwide. Was that around the same time or was Sierra Nevada pretty early on? Sierra Nevada is going to be earlier on. Um, Blue Moon is going to come into the picture a little bit later. Um, And, you know, I, this, you know, we've kind of alluded to it. Cocktails are really more my forte. Um, And then hard, hard spirits are really where I would say most of my knowledge lies. Um, Always looking to learn more about, about craft beer. Um, The reality is when it comes to the history of stuff, there's, there's an endless amount of history, right? And I, I try to tell people you've got, you know, basically for all of human history, people have been consuming alcohol in some form or fashion. And so you've got the entire world has their own cultures about drinking. And then you can go through all of time within, you know, all of these different areas. And so it's a, it's, it's a lot of ground to cover. Um, yeah. Oh, I bet. Which is, yeah. Which is a blessing and a curse. Um, I'm, I'm very grateful that if I get tired of reading about American bourbon, I can start reading about sherry or um you know pisco or red wines and white wines and just there there's there's an endless amount to learn there's there's always something new to to pick up so then the hard spirits you know 500 registered you know distilleries up to what you said 2500 2700 whenever around there do the top players start to feel a pinch like nowadays are the crafts kind of taking over then those those big popular brands that everyone just you know right that if you ask anyone they can name probably those top few spirits Sure. Uh, yes and no. I think that, um, you know, we're looking at some really big brands. I'll give you a, a fun statistic, right, to show you just kind of when we talk about big yeah. um, and, and we also talk about what, you know, kind of a key placement can do for, for a brand um, at the win and the Encore in Las Vegas, which are they're, they're adjoined, but it's really just kind of one hotel unit. Um, there was more gray goose consumed in one summer at those two hotels than the entire country of china right so 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 think about that right i mean so if so when we talk about you know are these big guys feeling the pinch yes you know there there are pockets where it comes up and um certainly there are spirits that come along um but then also you have numbers like that and you think well you're doing okay you're doing yeah well why Um, is that is that is that just their exclusive vodka that they have or is the advertisement in that area what's causing that to be so popular there yeah so that's a deal that bacardi group which owns gray goose um the bacardi group has a deal there um and so yeah anytime there's a shot of vodka getting poured it's a shot of gray goose um and so you can imagine i mean it's typically you know when you talk about delivering spirits to a liquor store they might be delivering a case maybe it's case five or case ten they're they're you know, at those hotels, they're going to be delivering pallets of, of, of booze, um, at a time. So it's just a different scale of things. Um, so I, you know, and I think, 
I think that one thing that we've we've seen, and I, it comes back a lot of our industry, people are talking about, okay, well now as um, you know, CBD and some of these different uh, marijuana paraphernalia and marijuana products are becoming legalized, how is that gonna impact people drinking? And um, what we've seen is that people might drink um, less lower quality product, but they're netting about the same of a higher quality item. Um, and that's kind of been the trend over time and what we've been moving towards. So um, I tend to think that we're in a really good spot actually right now. And I think that um, the big guys are, are still going to be the major players and there's still a lot of business out there for them. And there's also a lot of room and increasingly a lot of room for um, some smaller guys to, to get some action. Well, we're, we're seeing, or at least I'm seeing uh, in the spirit world that the the craft breweries are ma- starting to make it early on. It wasn't very good, to be honest, uh, starting to make really good. And so we were we were surprised to go to Brickway and find it for as cheap as we did. Mm-hmm. And and that was a, I mean, it was a good deal and it was delicious. And so we're starting to find this 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 kind of sweet spot uh, yeah. in the market as we think about Cody, as we think about this idea of bottled in and distilled in, is there a, so there's a lot of like, I'm sure. And and maybe when we think about a blue moon, they're not necessarily now bottled out of Boulder, I think is where they originally came out of it's being. So is there a difference between where it's made? I'm just talking about our local stuff. It's probably made here, but what about in the bigger stuff? Is there a difference between those two? Yeah, this is a great question. And I wanted to touch on this because I want to make sure that for everyone listening, there's a couple things they can take away that they can sort of apply when they're looking to buy spirits. So um, when you look at a bottle of bourbon, let's say, and it says bottled in Lexington, Kentucky, or bottled in Frankfurt, Tennessee, um, most people will think, well, it's bottled there. That's where it's made. And the average consumer wouldn't think that Um, Well, they wouldn't even think twice about that. And the reality is that, um, and and this is where the the alcohol lobby has has flexed its its power. Um, There is a difference between something being bottled somewhere and being produced somewhere. So um, you see a long line of spirits that are actually produced uh, in Indiana. They're produced by... um, MGP, which is a company that basically mass produces spirits, and then will sell them to different folks who will then bottle them in a location and um, and sort of rebrand them, basically. But it's essentially the same product, just with a different label on it. I personally have no problem with this. I actually think that if this is how people want to get started with a product, there's a lot of folks who, while they're building their distillery, they'll actually use... Um, this kind of more neutral bourbon, for example, and then age it slightly. And then as their distillery comes online, build out their product. So I think there's a lot of positives to it. I think where where I have a rub with something like that is the um, the transparency and especially for, for consumers thinking, oh, well, it's it's bottled here and it's got this label. It seems like it's a it's a legit thing. Um, and the reality is that that might not be the case. So um that's just a little one for folks to look at. Always look for products where it says, you know, produced in, produced at, um, you know, that distillery as Are opposed they, to bottled. By law, do they have to be specific about that where it's both produced or made or distilled and where it's bottled? Or is that kind of open? It's kind of in a gray area. Um, some states have certain regulations around this. Um, but for the most part, it's it's really kind of this gray area. It's kind of the Wild West still. Um, Kentucky bourbon or mm-hmm. bourbon 
has to be made in Kentucky, right? Mm-hmm. Is that is is it does that get followed? I mean, that's does that actually happen? Yeah. So Kentucky actually, it's, it's that's a great point. So Kentucky actually is very particular about this. You can imagine they now are producing, um, you know, I don't know if it still is, but it certainly for a while has been the top growing spirit category um, in the country, just in terms of volume. Um, there's others as a percentage that have grown faster, but just in terms of volume, bourbon has gone from um, something that not very many people were drinking domestically to a product that domestically we've fallen in love with again. Now, internationally, we're starting to see that it's had some staying power. Um, and so the state of Kentucky has now gotten very particular about who is labeling their product as a straight Kentucky bourbon or, or associating themselves with the state. Um, because it is, I think, going forward, going to be likely probably the major um, export that they have um, coming out of that region. Would, would be their bourbon. And it's delicious. I'm not going to lie. It is, it is a great drink. And, and I, I too, um, Ken, let me, let me get to Ken's question really quick. I'll throw this up here. He said, a follow-up question then, what's a rebranded top shelf that can be bought for a good value? Is there that out there? (laughs) A rebranded top shelf that can be bought for a good value. Getting the uh, to, industry insider information to, here. Yeah, typically if you can't so, say it's okay. Or you no, don't so, know, that's so, fine, so. so yeah, so typically that's not the way because because typically what's going to happen is um, we'll take like an old Fitzgerald for example. So old Fitzgerald used to have an age statement of twelve years, which means that by law, if you have the age statement on your bottle, that has to be how long the product's been rested for. Um, they then word got out that they were removing the age statement. And the only reason you would remove the age statement off of your labeling is if the product is no longer gonna be aged for that amount of time. And so there's a lot of folks who are now sitting on old Fitzgerald 12 year old bottles. And in the same way that you know certain antique cars or pieces of antique furniture might appreciate in value over time, these bottles are just, appreciating in price year after year because they're just becoming more and more scarce. Um, And so typically we're not going to see a brand go from the top shelf um, to value and then then kind of work its way to value. It's typically your something has sort of snuck in at that value level. And now it's, you know, trying to market itself as the top shelf. Um, It's usually going the other way. Yeah. And I think from a price perspective, I alluded to this just a second ago, um, because of the momentum I'm seeing in the liquor store, the prices of even the name brands begin to kind of creep, kind of creep up. And I think there's some excellent opportunities locally to see if you can find some local, you know, distilleries that are trying to undercut that. Mike Brickway is in that, is in that space, right? Well, especially in a place like Omaha, where Omaha, if you're from Omaha, you have pride in where you, you know, where you come from. It's Nebraska, it's Omaha. And so I think people here especially love doing the local scene and buying that over. And that might exist everywhere else too, but in Omaha, I think it's definitely popular because, you know, I'm, it's hard to find someone in Omaha that I bring up beer with who doesn't know about Brickway and doesn't know about cross strain. And they don't, they haven't heard of these, of these breweries because everyone likes to try those things yeah. local. Yeah. But the one thing I so 
you know, LA, obviously mm-hmm. massive market. You've got your Chicago's, your New York's, uh, just a little bit, right? Just, just, yeah. just a little, so bit. It's, just, it's just a little thing. It's a, yeah, little, it's a thing. little thing. But like, okay, so those major cities, you know, I think of those when I've gone there as having these hotbeds of places with extremely high quality, you know, just like you mentioned, right? Those bars that you can go to that have a high quality is, are you seeing that spread too? I mean, are, are more parts of the area starting to get into high quality, higher priced? Um, Cause in Omaha, you know, now it's been a while since I've been out and like in the downtown really going out, but it's, it's not as big here. I would say it, Jim, I don't know if, if you've seen the same thing. We don't have too many places where you can go get an extremely high quality cocktail here. No, I wouldn't. I wouldn't. Yeah, no, not yet. But uh, I'm but starting I, to see some other bigger cities. I'm like, Oh wow. Like they have, they have kind of, it's That's a, kind of the trend, Cody. Now, yeah, is, is that the trend to get more? Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I think. I mean, it wasn't even that long ago that it didn't happen in Denver. There weren't any really, um, you know, I guess we'll call it kind of yeah. top tier premium cocktail bars. And now, all of a sudden, Denver has kind of popped up as one of this newer, one of these newer hotbeds for um, for craft cocktail bars. And there's some fantastic spots out in Denver. Um, and even in a market like Los Angeles or in a market like New York. You know, typically, and really from a historical standpoint, a lot of those great craft cocktail bars have been located on um, on the Lower East Side. Uh, they've been located in uh, Greenwich Village, kind of like this, these very like tight communities. Mm-hmm. Um, in the same way in Los Angeles, it was kind of like West Hollywood, the Hollywood area, and then out in Santa Monica. That was really where kind of these, these top bars existed. And now I live in Highland Park. So I live on the East Side. Um, there's some fantastic bars here and you can get a, a phenomenal cocktail for $12, which in Los Angeles is not breaking the bank. Um, I know some people are probably like $12 for one drink. Um, but, uh, but, but for us out here, you know, that's, that's kind of, you know, that's kind of standard fare. Um, and, and you can get a really awesome drink, um, that's made with quality ingredients and served to you by someone who, knows a lot about the industry as a whole, and then also can speak more specifically to the ingredients in your glass. Well, that's what I've noticed here too. Like you, like you mentioned, Denver was actually the first place that popped into my head. I've been there quite a few times. Kansas City around here, Minneapolis, those kind of areas. And it's like you said, though, they're kind of in these weird pockets of the city. It might not be the main downtown area. It's in those little tiny pockets. And everyone knows you go there and you have five different options of amazing bars that are really taking off. But something that I didn't really notice maybe five, six, seven, ten years ago uh, being too popular. Now I feel like it's really growing. Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, I even um, I'll give a shout out to one of my favorite bars in Los Angeles is Geneva, um, which that's a whole interesting spirit that we could talk about in its own that many people don't know about. Um but it's a it's a smaller bar. It's a gin and Geneva focused bar, and they are in an area of Los Feliz that is still um, gentrifying. And I think you know I've taken some people there, and they're maybe a little uncomfortable with with the part of town that I'm taking them to. Um, and then we walk into the bar, and they totally forget about that because it's a beautiful space, and the program that they run is really at a very, very high quality. It's, it, in my opinion, it's, it's one of the top bars in Los Angeles. Um, and and so I think you, know, you look at bars like that, where to your point, they're not always necessarily in the places you'd expect them to be. Yeah. Sometimes they pop up in these in these hidden pockets. Well, now I got to know what Geneva is. Yeah. Oh my gosh. So Geneva um, is the predecessor to gin. Um, Geneva is a 
um, a very much a Dutch spirit. Um, so made in a very similar style to the way gin is, which, with a, a focus on a maceration of, of juniper berries, um, but then aged typically. And so when you pour out Geneva, it's typically going to be slightly brown. Um, not brown in the way that a, that a whiskey is brown, but almost brown. Like if you think about like an aged tequila, how that can get kind of brown. It's it's a little. It's not quite as intense of a dark brown like a like a bourbon, um, but so yeah, lightly aged. And so really, actually, from a flavor profile, has a lot more in common with a whiskey than traditionally what people think of as a gin. Um, but very historically important when we talk about Dutch courage. It actually comes back to the fact that um, the Dutch soldiers were taking shots of Geneva before they were running into battle. Whether that was ultimately a, a benefit or a hindrance, I think you know <laughs> we could look back and see. Um, but yeah, so that's so that's a, that's Geneva, and then most people kind of lump those two together. Between gin and Geneva, you'd be able to build out a really excellent bar program. So is that one of the only places you can get Geneva in LA? Is it that rare? Because I mean, I, I can it's, tell you, I've never heard of it here. I don't think we have any places that yeah. have of it here. Well, we'll we'll have to see if we can change that. That's for sure. Um, okay. There are. Yeah, there's there's a handful of brands um, now that have popped up, and I, I think there's likely going to be a, a few more that are going to continue to pop up in the States. Um, it is not the only spot in Los Angeles that you can find it. Um, there's a lot of liquor stores now that are carrying Geneva. There's a lot of the top cocktail bars, and um, I'd say the we'll call them the, uh, the, the middle tier cocktail bars yeah. uh, that are that are also carrying some sort of a Geneva product. Um, so I think certainly, so, so this is a perfect example of a spirit that, um, uh, is, is going to likely have an opportunity to creep its way all across the country and, and hopefully we can get some out in Nebraska shortly. Yeah. Well, I love gin and whiskey. It's okay for me. I'm still trying to acquire the taste for it. So something right in the middle there might be right up my alley. Cody, yeah, my son, yeah, might be good. my son lives in San Diego, not, not too far from you on the other side of Camp Pendleton. He's stationed at Camp Pendleton. He has caught the 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 mead bug, and somebody was asking about this in the chat room as well. Mead has kind of come on as well, and I think it really is it's, it's taken on really well in the Southern California area. But it, mm -hmm. what's your what's your opinion as being a spirits guy? Mm -hmm. uh, what's your opinion on mead? I'm on board with it. Um, I think if it's done well, it's delicious. And like most things, if it's done poorly, it's not very good. Um, I, I actually, it's funny that you say it's a Southern, I think it really so far from what I've seen has been more localized down to where your son's at, down to San Diego. Oh, okay. I, I don't know that it's crept up necessarily into Los Angeles just yet. Um, now this could also be my bias. So, you know, take it with a grain of salt. Okay. Um, what I'm seeing more is a lot of folks now are looking at trying to build out the biggest mezcal selection they possibly can in their bars. So um, agave spirits, tequila, and mezcal being kind of the foundation there, people are really trying to build that out. Um, and so typically when I go into a, into a bar or restaurant, um, if, I'm, if, I'm, if I ask what they're looking to purchase or what brands or what spirits they're looking for, I mean, the answer you know, nine, eight or nine times out of 10 is going to be, I need mezcal. I need more tequilas. You know, do you have any you know new mezcals, any agave spirits? I'll take those. Okay. So, yeah. Yeah. He's bringing some, he's going to come home and he is bringing boxes. He's driving home. So he's bringing, nice. he's packing up boxes, sealing them up and then bringing mead um, from nice. his area. He, he and his girlfriend have really found some great mead bars or whatever yeah. you call them down there, meaderies. 
and and have enjoyed them. Um, we they've also gone up to in the Temecula and gotten some wine for us from up there, which is just incredible, right? We, mm-hmm. And so um, that's been fun to have him down there. Cody, you the reason I asked you to come on is because you recently changed jobs and you're working for an, an organization that's kind of maybe taking a new look at the traditional distribution, the distribution system from one of your podcasts. I, I, I kind of got the impression and I can't remember which one, but you guys talked about how crazy it is to try to distribute. I mean, yeah. the, the, the distribution of alcohol goes way back to your an, initial history and through prohibition is that we are still dealing with or living with distribution laws that were, that came out of prohibition, right? They haven't really changed in 70, 80 years, right? In a three, in kind of a three tier system. Tell me a little bit about what you're doing. I mean, how, what it, t- tell us about your company, what you're doing, your role there and, and why it's as different. Yeah, I'll give people a little context on the three-tier system for anyone listening who be, might not be totally great. be familiar, and then we'll we'll dive in from there. I think right after Prohibition, um, the the problem that and the concern that lawmakers had was that prior to Prohibition, what had happened was a lot of the larger beer houses in particular had basically just bought out and owned retailers, which... Um, they viewed as limiting consumer choice. And you also end up, uh, for instance, the phrase, there's no such, uh, there, there's no such thing as a free lunch comes from this time where uh, you'd have the, the Budweiser cafe, they'd give you a very, you know, a free lunch, but it was this very salty, salty soup that, you know, of course made you want to drink beer. And then they didn't necessarily have an incentive to stop anyone from drinking or to keep anyone, any, uh, you know, a minor necessarily from over drinking, things like this. So there was a need to have sort of this middle buffer coming out of prohibition. They said, we don't want to revert right back to the way things were. And so they said, okay, every state gets to decide how they want to do this, but you have to have a distribution tier. Well, functionally, what that did was make there be 50 different laws and 50 different sets of regulations for how this is going to work. And we don't have to get into you know states' rights versus the federal government, um, but there are pros and cons to both. And one of the downsides of having every single state sort of manage things on their own is that when it comes to trying to do business in between the states with alcohol, it can be very difficult. Um, and uh, so... Pulling back, you know, kind of pulling things forward, I should say, to to the modern day, um, the company that I'm working for called Liberation Distribution, we're looking to kind of reinvent the way that distribution is done. So over the past 20 or 30 years, we talked about the explosion of craft distilleries, which, you know, not many people would have seen coming. Uh, So we've had this proliferation of brands and the number of distributors has shrunk dramatically. So at the beginning of 1995, I want to say there were something like 7,000 different distributors. And a lot of those were smaller distributors located, you know, kind of maybe it would be the the Omaha area might just have a distributor that was focused on, you know, the brickways or or things like that. Um, Those 7,000 distributors have consolidated down to about 700 And so if you are um, looking to get your brand into a new market, it can be very difficult because there might not be someone who's looking to pick up your brand. And um, as folks are trying to expand, uh, the issue they're running into is, well, hey, I want to get into this market. I know I have a consumer demand for this market, but I can't get distribution into this state because the two or three distributors in that area 
aren't taking on any new brands right now. And so that's where our model comes in. Um, we are really focused on helping out small to medium-sized uh, wineries and distilleries get into markets and make sure that they have an opportunity to promote themselves and um, and build their brand. Uh, a case at a time, three cases at a time, how, however they see fit. Um, there's, there's a couple core beliefs that we have. And, and one is that um, the, the brand ambassador or the master distiller, they're always going to be the best salesperson. So one of the big differences between the way we do business and the traditional model is that we don't have salespeople. Um, typically people say, oh, well, when I buy a distributor, I'm buying this sales force. Um, and part of what the reality that has changed is that when you are part of, you know, buying the sales force, quote unquote, um, that individual distributor rep through no fault of their own has a lot of financial incentive to focus on the big brands and the really big players in the market. Um, there's a lot of money that gets thrown at these brands. There's a lot of incentives, sales incentives that get um, put towards those brands that a smaller brand just isn't able to provide. Um, and so making sure that they have an opportunity to, to get into the market and, and promote their brand from there. So how, how does, okay. So give me a little more detail. Like, yes. so how on the, we got these distributors who got things locked up, so to speak. And are you finding, are you becoming distributors in each of these states so that you can be the, the middleman and make that change? Or is that how that's working? Yes. So we are applying for compliance state by state to become a distributor in each market that we operate in. Um, this is different from say uh, like a big fish in Illinois, or I guess more commonly like a Drizzly or a Postmates or a Merchant 23. These are what we call like a fourth tier option where functionally what they're doing is going through the three tier system and then usually delivering direct to consumer. Um, right now, a lot of people, when they think of digital and they think of alcohol, they're thinking usually of Drizzly, they're, they're thinking of more this direct to consumer piece. Um, and that's not us. We are actually a licensed distributor and wholesaler. We just happen to be a digital platform that um, you know does business a little bit differently for the for the modern age that we're living in. So the key word is a, a digital distributor. So like define that a little bit for me. What is that? Well, how is that different than an analog? I'm just making it up. But yeah, yeah. How does how does that work a little bit different? Yeah, I think the first piece we touched on is that we don't have salespeople. Um, and so as opposed to having someone that's going to go every you know Tuesday at eight o'clock to XYZ liquor store, um, now XYZ liquor store can actually place their own orders through the LibDib system or uh, using our digital order tools, um, a, a distiller or a winery is actually able to send out a suggested order. So let's say with a bar, we think, okay, we're going to go through a case a month and we're getting towards the end of the month. And you could actually send out a suggested order yourself. Um, and we're able to do this because we, as the digital distributor, it's still going through our system. Um, it just doesn't have to be that there's someone physically going into the store to do this. I'll, I'll speak to my time when I was a, a brand rep. Um, I might go in and have a great conversation with someone and they would be sold and say, Hey, great. Like talk to the distributor, get me three cases. I can't wait to have your product in. And you, you know, either try to call or you try to email your distributor and then it's on them to consolidate, you know, potentially hundreds of emails every day that are coming into them and figure out how to like place all these orders for all these different, um, for all these different products. 
needless to say, humans are humans and sometimes, you know, things slip through. And then all of a sudden the guy's like, Hey, what, what happened? I thought I was going to, you know, get the three cases. So, um, LibDib really removes a lot of that and allows the distiller or the winemaker to connect as directly as possible with the retailer. Are you guys trying to deploy any new technology to kind of make that? You mentioned a suggested order, but mm-hmm. is it? Is, are you doing anything new with technology to make that faster, easier? You know, like Uber fixed or changed the way we did cabs because they made an app. Are you guys doing anything like that? Yeah. So right now, um, the everything lives on the website, which is works for obviously a laptop and then any kind of a tablet device. Um, it's on the roadmap to look at a mobile device. I think that that's probably going to be a ways out. Um, right now, one of the things that we're looking at is trying to help someone. Um, you know, let's say for example, uh, you know, Jim, you decide that you want to. You know, you've got a new product and you're going to come out to California. And you say, okay, well, I think that I want to be in some really great um, gin and Geneva bars. You know, I've got, you know, Jim's gin is now hitting the market. And, uh, oh, yeah, I can see it now. I like that. I'm, I'm taking <laughs> and, that. Oh, yeah. And so it's hitting the market. And so you're like, I'm going to launch in California. I want to try and get into these right spots. This is my price point, you know, in the traditional analog model, to use your, your word. Um, you would have to go just account by account. Uh, meaning bar by bar, uh, restaurant by restaurant to try and see who's interested. Uh, With our platform, we can actually say, okay, well, let's look at who has said they're interested and even open right now to looking at new gins, then possibly connect you with some of those folks and see if there's maybe a way that you can be a lot more efficient with your time actually out in the market. Cody so, used to work used to work for Workday, and that's of mm-hmm. course a, a, a tool much like that. Do you find yourself harking back to those those days of thinking about planning and scheduling and doing that all digitally first, as opposed to relationship first? Yeah, it's it's a great question. So from you know to kind of give people the full context here from Workday, um, you know, I left that job. Most people thought I was totally nuts. And uh, moved back again with my parents, uh, worked at a couple of bars, and then had an opportunity to be the opening bar back for Major Domo, which is a David Chang restaurant. If you guys saw on Netflix, uh, Ugly Delicious was a TV show. I'm getting a real foodie here, so I don't <laughs> expect everyone to follow this. Um, but David Chang's a world-renowned chef um, and was had an opportunity to be in the in the presence of, of that whole situation. It was, it was really a, a phenomenal opportunity. Um, went from there to working for uh, the Buffalo Trace Distillery and was a brand rep for them out in the Los Angeles area, kind of Ventura County, LA County into Orange County. So I like to say I spent 80 to 90% of my time just sitting in the car on the phone yeah. trying yeah, to do deals that yeah, way. Yeah, you did. Yeah, I did. Let me tell you. Um, and so, uh, and so, yeah. And so I, I think that for me going from a very digitally focused and technology focused company like Workday to, um, you know, a company that was very focused on this more relationship building model, um, I learned the value of both. And I got to see the pros and the cons of both and where, you know, the digital innovation is phenomenal, but there's something to be said for looking somebody in the eye and meeting them face to face and, you know, being able to really get a read on a person. Um, And so I understand the value of both sides. Um, And that's where, you know, certainly with the LibDib platform, we see folks who go in and they might have a great phenomenal first connection. 
and they want to be able to continue to capitalize on that. And that's where the digital tools come in in allowing them to maintain that relationship and continue to, to have sales and continue to have a successful partnership. Yeah, it kind of sounds like a CRM system for alcohol. That's what it sounds like. Uh, <laughs> that's Which what it we, sounds. Yeah, we we try not to be. So we're not. Yeah, because we're, we're trying not to go into like the Salesforce HubSpot yeah. Um, yeah. Um, space. Uh, we really want to be a platform for, um, you know, a platform strictly for distribution. I yeah. think that over time, you know, as the engineering team grows, there might be some of those CRM kind of capabilities might creep in there. Um, but we'll see. Yeah. No, no, it's it's good. We we think, you know, here we talk a lot about a lot of technology, a lot of platforms, a lot of gadgets. Kind of fun to 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 think through that and and to think of this new kind of way of thinking through. Like, hey, here's an old business, and and I love the fact you guys are trying to maybe think about there. Man, there's some emerging you know companies that have probably been blocked or just because the big ones own the the interstate could never get on. They could just never get their vehicles on. And I think this is great to see some new things. Uh, again, I allude to Mike alluded to, I think just in Omaha here, when we think about Infusion and Lucky Bucket and Brickway and all those, you know, the, the, all these breweries we have here and these different options. And then uh, Patriot Distilleries, which isn't doing beer, but is only here, is only doing um, spirits. Mm. It's it, but they've and they've got a, a pretty good local market. But getting wider distribution, uh, Pint Nine, Mike, who's right next to Cross Train there in the yep. in the in the mall where they're brewing these things, the strip mall they're doing. Uh, Cross Train's made it. They're getting distributed widely. They are getting out there. Pint Nine has not uh, been so lucky. They're still kind of selling things locally, and so. But it's great to see local folks start to make it kind of on a national level. I think there's an appetite um, kind of for that as well. It's, it, 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 is, am I correct in thinking that, uh, Cody? Is, is it getting better for the small market folks? We're trying to make it that way. Um, that's one of the things that, that our company specifically is, is trying to help with. Um, we are starting to see, I think, particularly with, um, you know, we, we'll go back to talking about the difference between craft beer, craft spirits. The, the bigger beer companies were actually pretty slow in starting to buy up some of the craft beers. I mean, those craft beers really had a long run before any deals started getting made. Um, craft spirits, it's very different. Um, so uh, this is all public information. So Ford's Gin was a gin that came on the market in maybe 2017 or even late 2017, early 2018. Um and earlier this year, they got bought up by Brown Foreman, the parent company for Woodford Reserve and Jack Daniels and a, a, a bunch of other um, products as well. Um, and so, you know, that's a two year, maybe year and a half, two year kind of run mm -hmm. before, hey, they've got enough success. We're buying them. Right. That's pretty quick um, to, to make a move on yeah. a company. So, um, you know, hats off to all those guys that were involved with that team. They did a great job of building the brand. But the larger spirit um, producers definitely learned from the, from the, from, from the, the Budweiser's, yeah, the, from the Budweiser's yeah. and the, some of the larger brewers. They, uh, they, yeah. they learned from, I think the, from the hindsight that those guys are suffering from. Yeah. Like maybe we should move a little, a little faster on, and those, uh, the beer yeah. industry has consolidated. I mean, they consolidated hard, mm -hmm. uh, into just a handful and, uh, and then craft came underneath it. And I think, you know, it's just one of those consolidation models where you get big, you get lazy, you don't innovate anymore. 
it's interesting as you were talking about this gin company, it sounds like there's some opportunity to start up distilleries like you would start up tech companies to be sold, right? In other words, if I could get going and get a really good gin mm -hmm. and get some distribution, do it fast and quick, Jim's gin, <laughs> <Jim's gym. laughs> maybe someone will come along and buy it. Is there a little bit of that feeling um, yet where folks are maybe starting these things just to see if they can sell? Yeah, yes and no. I think the difference that I think, you know, and anecdotally that I would say probably between tech and between, you know, a, a spirits brand um, when you're buying a spirits brand, you are buying the brand. Um, when you're buying a technology, I think there, there could be some underlying IP that you're really tapping into. Um, whereas with this, it's, you know, it could, you know, there's a lot of great gins out there. Um, I, I personally really enjoy Ford's gin. It's a great gin. Um, that being said, you know, are they leaps and bounds the best gin that I've ever had? You know, maybe not. Um, but they're a good product and they had a great job of building a brand and becoming very bartender friendly. Um, and, and they were able to, to have an acquisition that way. So I think, you know, yes and no. I think that people who get into starting distilling spirits or, or a winery looking to, to exit and have a big exit. I think you're, you're in the wrong business. You should, you should stick to the tech side of things. You're going to have a, a lot more success over there. All right. Sounds good. Just kind of wondering if maybe that's the new, uh, that's the new thing, Mike, you and I uh, should buy a place in La Vista, you know, cause that's where all the good water is uh, and, uh, and make our own and try and sell it to some big, you know, some big company. What do you think? That's right. My wheelhouse buying, selling, let's do it. <laughs> See, I got the perfect lawyer already. Uh, there we go. Do. We already, we already got the paperwork. Yeah, I can there do you that. Go. So, yep. Cody, I want to get Cody. I want to get really practical because for the folks listening to this show, if they've made it this far, they're fairly diehard alcohol folks, right? Most of them who got 20 minutes in, like I'm, I'm here for the tech. I, I don't know why this guy keeps talking about alcohol. Um, I think the question that looms for most people making cocktails, mm -hmm. how do you make the perfect ice cube? Like, uh, how do I make this ice cube that's clear? Do I got to heat the water? Do I boil it first? Do I, like, tell us, give us some practical advice. How do I make the perfect ice cube that's clear and looks great? Okay. So this is a plug for two people. One is a very good friend of mine who lives up in San Francisco. His name's Camper English. Uh, Camper actually on his blog, which is Alcademics. It's like academics, but with alcohol at the front of it. Um, he actually is really credited as being the first one that did the research on how to make perfectly clear ice. Um, if you want to find that and a lot of other more tech-driven um, elements to this, this is a fantastic book. This is your friend, Liquid Intelligence by Dave Arnold. Um, it's a 2011, I want to say 2012 uh, book. This has stood the test of time. There, There's some really, really interesting things that you can do um, to take your cocktails to the next level and get kind of nerdy and sciencey with them. So, so just more than clear ice, but, but because we're dealing with, I mean, ultimately we're dealing with chemicals, right? We're dealing mm -hmm. with how bitters interact, how, how um, the alcohol itself, the sugars, right? It's, yeah. it's kind of a chemical reaction that's happening, right? And somebody mm -hmm. who knows how to do that. Are, when you're making a drink, are you thinking now about when you make a cocktail, are you thinking about how these elements are going to combine? I mean, I used to be a rum and Coke guy, mm -hmm. and I literally just like captain, throw yep. it in, and then Coke right on top of it, right? 
not necessarily a cocktail. Let's just be honest on that one. Right? Are you you thinking about the science of it? Yeah, definitely. I mean, that's that's another element that that you want to consider. I think you know, getting back to the ice question, and and I've had some episodes on the podcast where I've talked about the history of ice and and the importance of ice. Um, you know. Ice is kind of the one ingredient in a cocktail that is probably the most overlooked. Mm. People think, well, I'm just going to, you know, shake it with whatever ice I have available. Like, what, you know, I'm diluting it. And, you know, sure, why not? Um, turns out, um, partially from the work that Dave Arnold did and from what several other folks have done, that there actually is kind of an art to um, making a consistent cocktail using the right types of ice. Um, that ice doesn't have to be clear. Um, but typically, if you're shaking a cocktail, having one large cube that you shake it with, um, or maybe two like kind of larger chunks of ice that you shake it with, that's going to yield you a more consistent, um, a more consistent cocktail with a consistent dilution, as opposed to kind of the you know the ice you might get out of your um, out of your freezer or out of your refrigerator door. You know, that ice, um, you know, sometimes you get the little shards in there, get the little now kind of diluted a little bit quicker than you're expecting. So um, that's from our, from a more of a technical standpoint of actually making the drink. And then for the clear ice part, when it comes to presenting it, um, you're right, actually, it's funny you brought up the boiling. A lot of people have, have think that. And when you think about it for, and you step back for a second, you think, well, what exactly are you boiling away? <laughs> You know, and the thinking was, well, I'm boiling away all the whatever's whatever's in there. Impurities, it's not clear. Yeah, yeah, the not stuff clear is stuff. not clear. <laughs> well, and there were some questions of temperature too, where if we're taking it from an extreme temperature and then quick freezing it, the the crystal doesn't have enough time to crystallize, or the air bubbles are going out, or I, you know, I don't know. I'm not sure. I'm I'm lucky. I we do have some King Ice containers that we nice purchased on Amazon that we use for the big square ice. And I recommend mm -hmm. those they are like six bucks on Amazon. Mm -hmm. Just peel the ice off, but mm -hmm. it looks like you know, any other ice cube that I filled right. up from the, you know, from the tap. So, so I'll tell you how to change that. Um, okay. And it's, it's a little more advanced. So I'll, tell you, I'll give you the first way and then I'll give you what you can do to your ice cube or ice trays and, and modify that slightly. So the way that I make my ice for presentation is I have like a big igloo um, cooler. Mm -hmm. It's not that oh, big, yeah. but just kind of the standard, like what you might take a picnic in. You bust the top off of that, and then you fill that up maybe 80% of the way, 90% of the way with water. And you're going to let that freeze. The key is that you don't want to let it freeze all the way. Um, because the very last portion of what's going to freeze are all those impurities. And typically, they want to freeze kind of right in the middle, right? And then expand out. So you get these kind of like almost like spines kind of growing out and the middle of the ice. Kind yeah. Of, these kind yeah. of like things that are growing out. Mm -hmm. And, um, and so that's what you don't want. So for, for my particular igloo, it's usually, it's not 24 hours. It might be, you know, 16 hours or so that I kind of let that go. And then you're going to take that out. Um, you're going to have a little bit of water and that's okay. You're going to kind of block things off. And then you'll want, I usually use like a serrated bread knife, like what you would, uh, where you would chop like some uh, some French bread with potentially, mm -hmm. use that and a mallet, and you'll actually be able to block off um, like large spheres or large cubes of ice. Um, and that in the center of your drink, if you're drinking, for example, an old fashioned, is going to keep your drink properly cooled without over diluting it quickly. Because with an old fashioned or a Negroni or some of these more spirit forward cocktails, you don't necessarily want to 
pound them down. You do want to sip them and kind of enjoy the process of having that drink. And if it's diluting really quickly, you think, oh, I got to finish this thing before, <laughs> before I'm just drinking water. Mm-hmm. Um, so with that bigger ice cube, it's going to keep it from getting overly diluted um, and give you an opportunity to actually enjoy the drink over time. Plus, a clear ice cube just looks really cool. So you're basically doing, so what we used to do to make ice houses before refrigeration, right? Mm-hmm. They go on the lake, big saws, cut big blocks of ice, bring them in, store them, right? All those kinds of things. And, mm-hmm. and um, so you're basically kind of doing that same technique. So instead of you're, you're, you're cutting the sections that have already f- have froze, but the impurities are moving to the center. So you're, al- you're allowing those to move there mm-hmm. and then cutting those blocks of ice out. And just freezing them. Is that, is it as easy as that? So you're going to, yeah. So you'll let the entire block freeze. Right. And what, what'll happen is you'll have kind of the first um, portion of it. It'll be solid. Um, and then you'll have kind of, usually it sort of forms almost like the top of a, like the framing for a house almost is kind of mm-hmm. what you'll end up with, but the middle won't be totally frozen. You'll still have some liquid in there. So you kind of mm-hmm. dump mm-hmm. the liquid out of your ice hunk okay. um, and then kind of, serrate off kind of the the part that hasn't totally yeah. um, closed on the top now you've got kind of this block and then that's what you're able to, okay. to cut and go from there now wow, that's old you, school yeah now when you're talking about your ice tray yeah um what you can do and there's uh there's a great video online i'll see if i can send it your way to to show you exactly how to do this you can actually cut a small square in your ice tray um and all that's gonna and then you'll you cut a small square in the ice tray and then you float it in a, in a pool of water. And there's, again, the video kind of shows this better than I can describe oh. it for the sake of a podcast. Okay. Yeah. But this is actually where you're, how you're able to achieve the same effect because then that little impurity is able to escape and get out and you're left with this solid block um, that can have the same effect if you've already got those, those okay. trays. So it's kind of a cube within it. Your you, the tray is within another tray, and you're you're freezing the water without its impurities on the inside, or or, or however it's set up, and then the impurities are going somewhere mm-hmm. else. Yeah. Mm. What about exactly. these? What's, exactly. What about the what about the gimmick of these of round versus square? You know, I can go to Amazon and I can buy a ice gadget that'll make these round ice cubes. Yeah, Any so better I, round? Have, I have a few of those in my freezer, like okay. little ball ones. Yeah. Any better round than squares? So do you have the ones? So there's two types now. So there's the ones that are round that are more or less kind of like this plastic um, unit that you sort of fill up three quarters of the way. There's also the ones they actually compress down and they they do kind of this same technique, but they're compressing out the impurities. It's the compressed the down one. Yeah. Okay, perfect. Yeah, well, those are awesome. Um, well, I don't know what you mean. So it's like a, it, the base, right? And then they've got, and the base is hard plastic. And then the cover is like this almost like malleable plastic that you fill it up all the way to the top. And then as you press down, water kind of squirts out the top a little bit to get rid of all the air. And so uh, as you're pressing it down, it squirts. And then you put that thing in the freezer. It doesn't press during it. Is it, is it clear, Mike, when you bring the cubes out or does it no. have? Okay. All right, so, 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 so what I'm talking about is actually, um, it's a, it's a mechanical unit that needs to oh, be plugged okay. in. And Never so you would actually, oh yeah, it's, <laughs> we take this very seriously over here. <laughs> okay, um, yeah. Ice is serious uh, business. This was oh, like yeah. $4 on Amazon. So yeah. <laughs> gotcha. Yeah. So you actually, you can do a similar thing where if you leave the top open and if you don't let the ball freeze all the way 
Um, those actually, sometimes you can get them. I've, I've done it. it you kind of got to be checking on them a little more frequently than it, than it is necessarily worth it. Um, but there are ways to do a similar thing with a, with a sphere. Um, and in fact, there's actually companies now that what they do is make ice. They mass produce ice for, um, for cocktail bars. And they also do maybe like ice sculptures and things of that nature. But there's actually a whole business, um, of, producing ice at scale and actually people getting at, at a bar, you might get your ice delivered to you. Um, that was the situation we had at, at major domo. We actually got an ice delivery. Um, and we, and we got the ice gourmet ice basically. Right. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. And does that matter? Okay. So it, it, does it matter as, uh, um, as much as the way it makes the drink look as well as, you know, you talked about, you're trying not to water it down. I mean, there's nothing worse than, when someone's like on the on the fridge, you know, and then pours you a drink, and that ice just melts super fast and pretty soon. And when you're on the porch with your with your bourbon, it's basically just water, right? There's yeah. nothing worse than that. So I get the bigger ice, less surface area to melt, right? Some mm-hmm. of those kinds of things. But is there also a look that some bartenders are looking for when they're putting that in there? Absolutely, absolutely. It's definitely a look. Um, if you want to have any kind of a garnish in your drink, you can actually see the garnish from whichever way you're looking. Mm. Um, so, so that's an element that people enjoy as well. And, and I do, I think that there's something, um, you know, cocktails kind of by their very nature are somewhat frivolous. Um, you know, it's this, there's a lot of work that can go into something that's consumed pretty quickly. Yeah. Um, and um, I think that, you know, the, the ice is sort of just another example of, Hey, we're, we've made it, you know, it's, a, it's a little way. It's a, it's a little win, if you will. Yeah. Um, you know, Hey, yeah, we're, we're at a spot where, yeah, we can have the nice ice and have it totally clear and, and live life. We were drinking down at the uh, Hilton bar downtown. It's one of our nicer bars, hotel bars down there. And I'd asked the guy for an old fashioned and he rolled his eyes. And he was like, oh, he's, he goes, I'm kids. Like this has become, it had become a really popular drink, right? A lot of, a lot of folks were ordering. And he didn't like having to peel, you know, you're supposed to peel the orange and not, and I, what I'm noticing is a lot of bars are getting lazy and they're just throwing the orange in uh, on the old fashioned instead of peeling it. Mm-hmm. But, but you're right. It's that, I mean, it takes an old fashioned, it, this is not pouring a beer. Like it is, there's some technique to it and measuring it out and pouring it and the, and the order in which you put things together and some of those kinds of things that have in, in a presentation. But, um, Cody, I, mm-hmm. I, uh, I'm now spending, like when we go smoke cigars at Havana Garage or one of those places, I'm now spending an hour, two, three hours, maybe on two cocktails. So it's not totally, you know, it's not like the days, you know, come in, throw the Knock thing back, back and you're done, right? Yeah. So there is a little bit of time, right? I mean, mm-hmm. you're, you're kind of enjoying these, but you can kind of notice when a bartender cares and when they don't. Yeah, always. Um, it's, it's one thing we talk about consistently in the industry that, you know, at the end of the day, um, you could have a fantastic cocktail, but if it's not served with a smile and if it's not, you know, served with a sense of hospitality, like, what are we doing? Like, you might as well pack it up and go home. Like, at the end of the day, we're, we're really trying to make sure that people you know come to these establishments and have and have a good time and and are able to hopefully have a deeper connection with the people they're with because of the experience that we're providing well i I did kind of say to this guy i was like 
these I'm paying you, right? <laughs> I mean, he, he, he was like, ah, oh. I'm like, what, you know? And like, did I say something wrong or did I order something wrong? And he's like, no, he's like, like the old fashioned has become the, you know, everybody's ordering them. And I was like, I don't really think I care. Like, that's <laughs> kind of what I want right now. You know, and I'm I'm pretty sure I'm paying you for this. And yeah. it was it was where he did make me one. I'd probably spit in it too. But uh, you know, it was it 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 was the difference between and I think this is where we're heading in the industry is that bartenders are getting more out in front and getting known, and then it's a personality in the drinks as well, right? Absolutely. And and some of the folks that I've had on my podcast have really begun to capitalize on that and, and built themselves into, into a brand. Um, and, and it was funny, you mentioned earlier, some of the folks that I've spoken with when I first talked to them, you know, they were, they felt really successful. They had, you know, 19 or 20,000 followers on Instagram and they thought, wow, like people think that I'm a really big deal. And like, this is crazy. And now like a year and a half later, they've got, you know, 80,000 followers, 90,000 followers on Instagram. And it's, um, it, it's, it's crazy to see how some people have really, you know, this is, they, they've kind of, uh, you know, they followed a lot of kind of Gary Vaynerchuk kind of advice and, yeah. and built their own brand and made themselves a, a personal entity. And it's, it's really cool to watch and, um, you know, really happy for all the folks that this has happened to. They, they deserve every bit of the success that they're having. Okay. So I'm going to pick your brain here for, I'm going to, I'm going to, so you've got all the expertise and this is great. Cause you said you're more on the spirit side. I have always been just, you know, a beer and wine guy, kind of been mm -hmm. my thing, yeah. uh, probably from a few bad experiences in college, you know, on the hard, on the hard spirits. So what do you mean? I, I didn't have any of those. Yeah, no, that's no, weird. I don't know. I didn't either. That was a joke. Um, so, okay. So I'll, beer and wine, which are good, right? You can go good go-tos, but there are certain events and especially when I'm hanging out with my guys are big um, scotch guys and bourbon guys. And you want to be one of the cool guys, right? You want to be able to enjoy one of those drinks. So I enjoy gin. Um, I enjoy tequila. Like I mm -hmm. just sipping tequila is, is one of the ones I go to, but so knowing those two things and whiskey is, is, is tough for me. What's a good drink I can go to, um, and kind of be part of the cool guys club without, mm -hmm. uh, you know, without trying to gag it down the whole time. <laughs> yeah. How are you with, um, with bitter? I love bitter. So, okay. um, like, especially like on wines, I am the driest red wine I can get. Um, I'm also big IPA on beer. Um, mm -hmm. I, I'm more savory than sweet. I'm actually mm -hmm. not a big sweet beer fan. Don't like the fruity ones. The hibiscus actually was pretty good tonight, but, uh, other than that, very savory, bitter. I like that. Are you familiar with, uh, with Campari? Do you know what that is? Never heard of it. Okay. So, uh, write this down. I'm yeah, going to so, take some notes. All right. Yeah. No, <laughs> actually, but, I'm going to put it in my phone. I'm going to know why I'm going to write it down. I have this with me. I don't have that piece of paper with me. We're, we're living in the digital age. Come on. Yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. I'm going to start a new note right now. Yeah. I, and I'm um, recording it, Mike. So, okay. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah. I can just go back and listen. Um, so, uh, the, the cocktail that I, that I based off of what you're describing that I would recommend is called Negroni. Um, so, a Negroni is going to be equal parts gin. Campari and sweet vermouth. Um, the sweet vermouth is not overly sweet, typically, I should say, depending on the brand that you buy. Um, but it's really there to just kind of balance out um, the bitterness of the Campari. Um, 
Campari can be a bit biting the first time that you have it. So I might, I would say, don't give up on it the first time. If you think that, Oh man, this is really like, what is this? What has this guy said to me? Um, yeah. Give it, give it a couple times. Um, it, it definitely grows on you. Um, and that is a really easy cocktail to make very well balanced. Definitely a cocktail where a large clear ice cube is, uh, is, is a benefit and definitely your friend. Okay. Um, and, and looks cool. You'll you'll definitely feel like one of one of the in guys being able to order right. a Negroni. Um, yeah, so I think that's a solid one, and you can actually do a similar thing with tequila, and actually just swap out the gin for the tequila, and then have more of this kind of agave base to it. Um, and that that same formula will will kind of work for you. Um, so I think that would be what's it called a- if you use tequila? Same thing, a Negroni just with tequila instead of gin. Depends on the bar that you go to. They might have some different um, name for it. For it, and typically, I think if you go to a craft bar, they're probably going to use something other than Campari. They'll have a different. Um, they'll have a different Amaro. Um, that's kind of the the broad category of of bittering agents is Amaro. Okay. Amari. Um, they might have a different one that they would pair it with. Um, but for the sake of you know watching the wallet and making sure that you know this is kind of we can swap bottles in and out easily, um, yeah, that just being able to swap it out and have a have an agroni with uh, tequila okay. instead of instead of gin. That's another good. Well, option. that's the funny part. Usually, if I if I'm gonna have something like this, it's actually like in a fundraiser event where it's like an open bar, right? Yeah. So, so you want to take advantage and get something cool. Now, is an agroni something that most bars are gonna know what that is when you order? um pretty i mean pretty nationwide everyone knows what that is yeah um i mean campari is uh is a nationally available spirit um okay. i think that yeah if you go to i would say just about any bar in the country they they should know know what a negroni is um it's kind of like if someone's rolling your eyes about you ordering an old-fashioned I, I think i might be questioning the the place a little bit and I'd, similarly if they if they're not sure about what a negroni is i might be thinking okay i'll have a beer instead okay <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. In the can. Yeah. <laughs> In the can. Just bring me the can. <laughs> just bring me the can. Yeah. And you know, here's the thing is like I I love wine and beer. And I just I don't um I don't know as much about wine and beer. Um I know a bit more about wine than I do about beer, certainly. Um but you know, there's there's a there's a sense of like if you um if, if I go to a bar and I sort of feel like, hey, this person is not gonna make a drink that's up to my up to my standards, um I'll, I'll happily, yeah, I'll, I'll happily order, you know, a glass of wine or, you know, a can of beer or, you know, something off the tap. Like I got no problem with that. Um, but when it's, when it's done right, you can have a really properly made cocktail. It's, it's fantastic. Um, similar thing with the garnish on an old fashioned in or groany, just FYI, you can either do a, a slice of, um, or kind of a swath, I should say of orange peel, or you can actually do like a half wheel, kind of just like a wedge of of an orange in there and it's uh i think that's cheating (laughs) it's a classy looking drink it's not no but i think the orange wedge is cheating and that's good because you know for me i think you know we're creatures of habit right so i got into down the beer and the wine and we have so many good breweries around here that's just what i got into and i I naturally liked it from the very first day i had it (laughs) it's not one of those things we kind of have to acquire a taste for it so i really just never had the opportunity to explore um, the spirit side of things. And it's really when my, my college roommates come back and, you know, they'll bring, you know, we usually, everyone brings a bottle of something they're really liking and they're really into the scotches right now. And scotches, I think for me at least was a hard thing to jump right into, right. Mm -hmm. To start with a scotch was a little bit tough. Um, so I'm like, okay, where do I start? And so 
you're the perfect guy. Give me something I can start with, right? And then really start to explore it, learn it. Because, you know, like you said, I mean, you can spend your whole lifetime trying to figure out all the different avenues and what you like, what you don't like. Yeah. You know, I think particularly when you're talking about the whiskey category, um, you know, your buddies might be coming home with, you know, an art, you know, Lafroy or an art bag, something that, you know, just smells and tastes of, you know, earth and soil, um, which is yeah. its own, its own experience. Um, yeah. Is, They're know, big Glenn it, Levitt fans. I don't know. That's, that's their, that's their go-to usually. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's another one too. It's not quite on, on that level, but it's, it's also got a lot of that real PD PD edge to it. Um, I would say in terms of like introducing yourself to the category and kind of working your way up. Um, I think that there's still some amazing Irish whiskeys that are out there. Okay. Um, so these following brands I have no business association with, but just personally enjoy. So no professional ties. Um, the Teeling Distillery, which is T-E-E-L-I-N-G whiskey. Um, they're the newest uh, distillery, I, at least at, as last I checked, they were the newest distillery in Dublin proper. Um, and so really phenomenal product that they're making um, that's coming out there. And I think that could be an easier way to sort of get yourself into kind of whiskey like okay there's there's some cereal grains here there's kind of a nuttiness to it potentially that's not overpowering and in my face um and then you can go into maybe american whiskeys rise and bourbons sort of explore that a little bit and then work your way into some scotches from there all right i think that's what you need you need someone like you who can kind of okay, this is where you should start. This is how you should get your thing instead of just blindly jumping into it. And especially like when I go to my local liquor store, um, our high V, which is our local grocery store has a great liquor section. It's like, I don't even know where to start. And like Justin was naming some of the other ones that my friends are into like a Laphroaig, uh, a Lagavulin, like those ones have been what my buddies have always brought over. I'm like, I have no idea where even to start here guys. And, yeah. and so, yeah, it's good to find that, that place to start. Yeah, absolutely. I think, um, and Justin says, now I want a scotch, damn it. <laughs> In the chat. It's what we do. It's, it's what, what we, we do. do. Justin. So we do. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no. And I, I think it's similar for basically any category. Um, are you familiar with mezcal? Have you had an opportunity I to try? Mezcal? Nope. Okay. I think, I think that that could also be an interesting bridge. What for is you. mezcal? So mezcal is an agave spirit. Um, so actually, technically, in the kind of tree of agave spirits, all uh, tequilas are mezcals. So mezcal is actually this broader category of spirits that are come from the agave plant. But not all mezcals are tequilas. Correct. Things? Okay. Correct. So all tequila, by law, has to be has to come from the blue Weber blue Weber agave. Um, this is an agave plant that takes about six years to age, six to eight. Um, so this is another thing. Actually, people, you know, they say, "Oh, it's you know, it's blanco tequila. It hasn't been aged at all. It's no good." And it's like, well, you know, there, there's a corn harvest and uh, you know a rye and a barley harvest every year, and the you know the guys making their bourbon gets a pick off of that every single year. Agaves naturally take a lot longer to age. So, you know, some people say it's just doing its aging process before it's actually getting fermented and, and then distilled. Um, just a different way of looking at things. In any case, um, tequila has a specific production method and really kind of the big distinguishing factor between the two is that mezcals can come from any type of agave. It doesn't have to be the Blue Weber. And there's um, I think at last count, there's about 230 different types of agave. And so there's a lot of different varietals and expressions that come in there. Um, and then you also have an opportunity 
once you sort of get into these different expressions, um, the the other element where they distinguish themselves is that the uh, the mezcal when it gets cooked, they actually will dig a pit into the earth and put these um, agave hearts in there and then kind of roast them very slowly in this very smoky, earthy, kind of sunken pit. Whereas um, tequila, the agaves that are going to go on to become tequila are typically in an above ground kind of industrial oven that's that's cooking them. Um, both make fantastic products, but mezcal really takes on a lot of times this more earthy characteristic um, and a slightly more smoky note. And yet it still has that backbone of the agave. And so when you're talking about what's my intro into scotch and how do I get there, you know, a lighter mezcal might be an interesting one to look at where um, it's not going to be the complete smoke bomb that, you know, maybe some of your friends are having with the scotch. Right. Um, but you can still get some of that smokiness and kind of balance it out with a little bit of the sweetness of the agave. So Justin asked in the chat, then what's your, uh, what's your number one mezcal? Oh my God. <laughs> um, the tough questions. We don't, we don't yeah. make them easy here, Cody. God. Um, easy questions. Oh, man. What's your go-to if you're drinking, if you've got a chance, what do you, what do you personally like? Well, I'm a little spoiled because I know people in the industry. So mm -hmm. there's, there's what I have bottles of and there's what I can afford to purchase myself. So um, <laughs> it's, it's, it's one of the perks. Yeah. Um, Celebratory which, night, money's not an issue. You're going to have one drink. What is it? Yeah. Um, Fortaleza for the price is, is phenomenal. Um, don't, again, don't have any business connection with those guys. Um I would say that uh, Los Vecinos, which is actually a newer mezcal that just came out and actually isn't kind of the most intensely smoky one. It's, it still has kind of this slightly um, almost like, like, uh, like a kind of leather odor to it, but it's, it's really interesting and complex. Um, that's a great one to look at. What um, kind of spirit was the first one you said? Uh, Fortaleza. Yeah. What is that? That's, that's a mezcal. Okay. There's 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 both a mezcal and a tequila for Taleza. So okay. there's both on that one. Um uh I'm trying to think what else. Um I'd be remiss if I didn't mention Del Maguey, um, which is a bit more popular now. It's a it's a green bottle. Um typically if anyone's if a restaurant or a bar liquor store is gonna carry any mezcal, typically they'll they'll at least carry Del Maguey. Um comes from a cluster of villages. Um, there's a few different expression expressions that come out from each one of these villages. And it's a, uh, that's, that's a phenomenal product. And uh, it's one that's got a lot of historical relevancy uh, to the category as a whole. All right. I've also, I've enjoyed, and some people like it and some people don't, but I've also enjoy, enjoyed Patron. And, and that has been a good, um, that's Can been I ruin a, it for you. Sure. So I'm a little, um, Full disclosure, this is where my time working for the Sazerac company, which owns the Buffalo Trace Distillery. Yeah. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, this is where my, my bias comes in. So yeah. um, I actually know the family uh, that where, where Patron originally was grown. Um, um, and uh, Patron, the recipe for it has changed mm. very dramatically from what it historically was. Um, if you want what Patron originally was, it's now Siete Leguas. Siete Leguas is a product that the Sazerac company carries. Um, 
without getting into all the details, because it's a very long and it's, it's, it's a very sad story, to be honest. Um, mm. the, the, there was a young man, he, he lost his parents at a very young age and was then at, you know, 17, 18 years old, left in charge of this, um, production of, uh, this tequila operation and of these agave fields and of his family farm. Um, word got out that he was making a really phenomenal product and had been able to upkeep the standards that his parents had and improve upon them. And he got approached by a few American investors um, and they went on to ultimately found Patron. That deal went sideways. Again, that's a lot of details that we don't need to get into. That deal went sideways though. And, um, and he ended up kind of separating himself from the Patron company. And now that comes to the States as Siete Leguas. Yeah. No, good. Good to know. I I, yeah. I haven't. I don't do it a lot. I'm not mm-hmm. tequila is not necessarily my go to. That you know, when the Mexican brothers come over, that party usually leaves the room. So, <laughs> like uh, you know, that has not been my go to. But um, one of my one of my kids likes it and brought it mm-hmm. over for birthday party and uh, enjoyed some of that. I might have some Fortaleza in my office. I think I got a gift from somebody that I, a bottle that I, uh, you, you I got some aside. good friends. I do. I uh-huh. do. I think I have to, I have to go check. So uh, is that check. one? So my boss is just tequila is his thing, right? Okay. So, so if I'm trying to find one, if I'm trying to find one, maybe that he hasn't heard of, or maybe just a really good bottle that maybe won't break the bank, right? There's like a solid bottle. What's, what's your go-to tequila? Is well, it the so- tequila boss? Hmm. I personally love Siete Leguas. Again, I previously had an affiliation yeah. with them, so I'm a little biased. The other thing you could do, and this is really unique with tequila, is you can actually look on the back of a bottle like a Fortaleza, like a Siete Leguas, um, and you're going to see the DOM, the D-O-M number. And if you type in D-O-M, and you actually can Google this, and you'll be able to look up exactly where that um, agave has come from. Um, the Mexican government makes this information available. And so you can actually see exactly where in the world um, the agaves that have made your product have come from. And sometimes they'll have additional information there as well. So um, I would say looking for some more obscure noms could be could be an interesting an interesting route to okay. take. So um, find, find out what he drinks normally. Look at those doms hmm. and then see where those are from and find someone where it's from someplace. See, and then you have a story when you give it to him, right? Then you know where exactly. it's from. Then you then you can almost mm-hmm. okay. I like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So so you can definitely impress the boss on that one for okay. sure. Okay, there we go. Good to know. There you go. Yeah, pretty, pretty great, Cody. Up, you know, Cody, we we have um we've kept you for a long time, and I I appreciate you coming on, and uh, we need to do this. Oh, I think this could be one of those. We do every twice a year. We do a barbecue show where okay. those are kind of the biggest shows of the year where we come on and we talk about food. So while it's home gadget geeks, we talk a little gadgetry here, you know, some things you could buy on Amazon and such, but we really, during the, the grill and barbecue shows, we just talk about meat <laughs> and it's super popular. I have yeah. a feeling I'm just, I'm just, I'm uh, that maybe this could be, this could get popular with us here at home gadget geeks um and so i appreciate uh, i just appreciate your time and what you do shots of history as at episode 99 and i think if you want to go back and kind of uh, my recommendation we go back and listen to 99 because it gives a little bit about where you came from a little bit about where you're going you're going to have some new ones coming um as well and i'd highly recommend them cody's got a great voice for this he he, he really studies and not like Mike and I, who just kind of wing it when we get in here. Uh, Cody actually has a plan to his podcast. 
uh, and gets through his things uh, and, 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 and does it very, very well. I think you'll like it. If you're into the history, you want to go back to the early episodes. If you like the interview style, uh, you're going to want to binge on that and some really great ones. And then was it a Irish guy or a Scottish guy? I can't remember that you had on uh, just recently. Irish. Um, Tim Tim Hurley uh, is he he's he's been a very popular episode for sure. Oh my god, best episode ever! Like I, <laughs> that was my favorite. I actually listened to drop my or my drop my daughter off at uh, college, and I had my wife with me. We were driving back, and I made her listen to it. And at first, she's like, "Who is this? Like, what are we listening to?" And I'm like, just listen, you'll you'll like it. And at the end, she was laughing, and he was—I mean, he was really, really good. Um, yeah, he was awesome. Those guys can say either Irish or Scottish. They can say anything, and Americans just think it's great, right? We, we love <laughs> that much, accent. Yeah. Yeah. He 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 could insult you to your face, and you'd say, "Oh, thank you, thank yeah. you, yes." <laughs> I just talked to this guy when I was at Podcast Movement, Scottish podcaster. We're going to try and have him on as a podcast yeah. coach. But he he said that he's like, oh man, and I won't even I won't even fake the accent because it was so good. But he was like, oh man, in America, I can just I can I can say things about you won't even know because they're Scottish words, and yeah. you know you'll you'll think you'll thank me for it. And uh, so uh, super great. But Cody, before I let you go, wh- where are where are you? I mean, where are you? Are you in a closet or what's what's the deal with what are we seeing there yes yes very funny jim very funny (laughs) so this is the running joke yeah so um right now kind of the situation that i have um i'm currently in this oversized closet um in my apartment in highland park uh it's me and three other folks that live here um and uh and this is kind of the quietest spot that i have so this is what i work with um and uh but definitely bringing people over and having them sit down in the closet sometimes is they 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 look at me like oh we're going in there to record (laughs) really really but no it's i love listening to them so you you'd welcome to welcome them to the show and there was always a little comment about the the closet you know recording from the closet but you know, I was I was surprised. You really were able to lock in some really great interviews with them and have some really good conversations around this. Thank you. Out of the closet. So no, <laughs> I, I liked I I really appreciate it. I, I may be your biggest your biggest fan uh in in listening to those. I've listened to everyone. It's just a favorite, you know, I listen to a lot of tech stuff. But because Sarah's gotten so interested in in making drinks, I was like, well, okay, at least I had to know a few things. Sure. Uh, about some of the stuff. So, so Cody, thanks for saying uh, yes. Mike and I have a little bit of tech stuff and community stuff to cover, but uh, thanks for coming on. I, we will probably try and get you back at some point because I think, Mike, I don't know, this is pretty great, right? I loved it. Yeah. Yeah. I can pick your brain, Cody, all, all night on, on certain stuff. So it's great. Absolutely. Well, I'd love to I'd love to come back and maybe next time I'm on we can talk about um you know nitro freezing mint and we can try to make it a little more tech tech involved and and dive into some advanced techniques. Yeah, you know what I'm learning about my audience though? I mean the tech is great and they come for that, right? That's why they come. But when we have really good guests and really interesting conversation like this, and many of them are they, you know, there were some comments in the chat room tonight. Many of them like grilling and smoking and they're into that they're also into drinks you know whether yeah. it be beer wine or spirits or cocktails they're into that as well so kind of fun we don't always have to have the tech angle i wasn't i'm not necessarily worried about that but because it's a super interesting conversation and i want mm. i want people drinking better like i don't want them just drinking crap like like yeah. guys we're living in a golden age of of alcohol right now 
It's never been better. Well, maybe not, but it's never been better than it is right now. There are some great options for people, mm -hmm. I think, when you're thinking about drinks that are available. Yeah, you could definitely make a case that this is the best. And um, yeah, I'll let you know that a couple of the couple episodes that I'm I'm nervous to to publish these. I, I said that it in ahead of time. Um, I might get some pushback, so um, we'll we'll see from the industry what okay. people have to say about this. Um, you know, I, what I'll say is actually there's it's funny right now. There's a news article out about Amazon um, basically trying to. Basically, they listed their warehouse as a retail storefront so that they could sell alcohol. Um, and the state of California was not very happy about that. <laughs> um, and that that sort of is is a, a somewhat on brand for kind of some of the issues that I want to start yeah. diving into yeah. that have historical roots, but have a have a sense of kind of modern place and, and some modern issues. Yeah, no. I like it. Keep doing, keep doing your stuff. Shots of history. Just open. If you're listening to your podcast right now, just pause this podcast, go search for it, add it to it, get it in there, go back and binge on it. And uh, Mike, Mike has got that. Uh, Justin in the chat room says new show, home food and booze geeks. <laughs> <laughs> kind of what we turned into a little bit uh, is we, we, um, as I've been, I end the show uh, with, uh, a tips from from uh, HelloFresh every week. So it's kind of become a foodie show too. But Cody, we're going to let you go. Mike and I will finish some things up. Thanks again for doing this. We'll uh, all contact you when we're done and ready to go here and when we're ready to have you back on. So I appreciate it. Thanks for coming in. So Thanks, guys. Appreciate you, you having me. Have a, good, have a good evening. Appreciate it. Super great. I'm oh, I'm really wow. curious now about the ice. I'm so glad you brought up the ice. I didn't even think about that. You know, yeah. it's always, I just thought that certain ice makers made or I thought it was the water you used. Honestly, I'm like, maybe they use mineral water. I don't know. Yeah. Interesting. Uh, distilled is another uh, distilled water. That's another myth in those. Yeah. And uh, really hard to, have you done that trick where you put the water in and you freeze it um, to where it's co actually colder? You have to keep it really, really still and it won't, you, you get the temperature down. You know, it freezes. Why water freezes is because there's contaminants in it that the, the crystals form around and that contaminant sets the, kind of the structure for the cells they they start and then that's why you get that kind of that ripple effect of yeah. freezing over time if you take a bottle of water and you get it colder than 32 so maybe 30 or 28 in there and it hasn't frozen yet you got to get really crystal clear water and then you shake it the thing will freeze instantly yeah, cool. I know that. yeah it's super cool you could right. tons of videos tons of videos around that so um great having cody on i've been wanting to have him on the show for ever and it just finally worked out with his new job that i had a little bit of a tech angle and i to be honest i don't care so i just i like talking about and he's a good guy his that voice it's just yeah it's just so good so he's one of my uh i think one of the up-and-coming podcasters and and what we're doing here so mike uh you know three years ago we had uh the guys from kangaroo were you you on the show yeah you yeah. had those guys on uh, was i honored i think so and you know I've you know I've you know I've gone through the kangaroo you know I've yep. had that on here. Mine's and, my server rack. You know you know that I submitted one for RMA. Well, came back from podcast movement, and the battery had, ex had expanded same on this thing, one huh? as well. Same exact thing. Yeah, I the same issue. Well, I think I over I had Windows 10 was it was doing a new install of Windows 10 or something, and these things aren't great for repetitive, right? You know, high intensity. They get warm. Whatever. I don't think I had it in the dock too. And I'm not sure this helped just to be honest, but 
yeah, it ballooned out and I just wasn't willing to take the risk. I immediately pulled it off, shut it off, took it out and said, you know, I think I'm done. Not they were fun little things. Yeah. But um, yeah. So if you if you have a kangaroo, continue to watch these things. That's a that's a pretty dangerous uh, battery. Yeah, no kidding. That's, that's coming out of there. So I'm gonna take it apart on the inside. I think there's some kind of drive in here. Yeah, run without the battery, just straight on power. Hmm. Power cord. That's a good if you popped out that battery. Might just be able to run straight out the power cord. Well, that's a good question. I wonder if I, I the battery is glued in there. Uh, or maybe it's just this tape here that I can. If I take this tape off, I don't know. I play with it and see. I don't know, Mike. I think I'm done. I think yeah. I'm just done with it. I think I'm going to take it to Best Buy and turn it in and recycle it. So um, that is done. I thought I'd give you up. Somehow I gained a six sixty gig uh, SSD in the process. So this is what was the second drive for that. So that'll so get recycled back into space, right. That'll get recycled. Um, back to something as well. Next week, Ross Brand joins us here on Home Gadget Geeks. Ross is going to come in. We're going to talk a little bit about the history, not history, but kind of where we're at from a live streaming perspective today. So when we think about what we're doing with StreamYard and some of those other technologies, it fits in at work because we're doing more and more video conferencing all the time. And just more of those technologies. Ross, uh, uh, I hung out with Ross at Podcast Movement and he's just an overall good guy. So we're going to have Ross Brand on next week. Talk a little bit about that, Mike. I think um, we, you and I are back for the 5th of September. And then Ryan, uh, we met you, you, me, and Ryan got together here. Ryan, thanks for coming to Omaha a couple weeks ago, hanging out with us on a Sunday at Pizza West, which was super good. It was really good. It was really, it was really good. But I went with the large pizza and brought some home to her. She was happy with that decision. Yeah. Um. Really good. I did too. I brought some home and but but I went then I left, you know, the next day I left or two days later I left for Orlando. And I remember being on the plane thinking, Oh crap, I didn't eat that pizza. <laughs> and well, it was it, gone, right? Didn't matter. The family the family had killed it. They had crushed it. Uh while it's gone. Then we have a new uh, YouTuber coming on who I'm super excited about. I haven't met this guy um, ever, but I've been following him on YouTube. Um Jay Matson is coming in. I'll leave a link to it in the show notes if you want to get, or or you can see on Twitter, I, I, I've I announced who we'd have him on the show. He's coming on September 26th, and he's a total hardware nerd, and uh, I'm really excited about it. So he just made a move and did a new studio design, and he's just a straight-up hardware nerd, and uh, I really appreciate that. And so Jay's coming on here towards the end of September. So we got some great shows coming up. You guys might want to Tune in. We'd love to have you live. I think uh, Justin and Joe and Ken, who we saw in the chat room tonight. That's who I saw. Oh, and uh, Ron was out there as well. Thanks for coming out live. If you want to join us live, we're live every Thursday, 8 p.m. Central, 9 Eastern, out here at theaverageguy.tv uh, forward slash live. Mike, you tried HelloFresh? You finally did? I did. Yeah, yeah. we did. So you uh, you gave me one of your coupons. I said after, I think, actually after the last show, because we haven't we didn't do a show last week, did we? We were off last week because you yeah, were, we were off because that was a podcast movement. Yeah, yeah. So two weeks ago, you gave me the code, got in and uh, I actually, so this is what happened. I set up the account on Thursday night, right after the show, forgot to pick the meals though. I was like, oh, I'll pick them on Saturday. Well, I think it locks it in right away. So, but that was kind of cool because we got three random meals. Um, Hannah 
Hannah was Hannah was mixed on it. Quality of food was great. It was nothing about the food for her. She was like, "Well, it's just it just takes longer than I, what I was expecting." Yeah. And I was like, "Yeah, it, it'll." But she goes, "I think it's something we would get faster at. It's just you know the yep. first few times you're figuring out, you know, okay, use these bowls for this. But by the third meal, uh, so we did it. We spread it out a little bit. So like every other night that week, we use one of the meals. By that third one." we were getting it down. Right. And then we kind of got into this cadence of maybe she would start before I got home from work. Cause she gets home before me. Then when I get home, I'm helping with whatever like step two or three is. And, and we kind of got it down. I really enjoyed it. So I think we decided I'm probably doing like every other week mm-hmm. and um, doing just two meals a week because we just said, you know, for us on the weekends, we're usually really busy or with people. And then during the week, every other day works for us. So like two of the days of the week, um, having that option was really good. We did the servings for us when you do two servings, truly, uh, they weren't big enough to share with the boys. Our boys are getting to the age where they're, they're eating enough on their own. They, we could probably do the four. We could probably get each of them their own serving. Um, but man, the quality of the food was what surprised me. I'm thinking, okay, how, how fresh truly can a shipping, uh, company make this? And man, you weren't joking. They, the quality, uh, the freshness of the food, the recipes were, although complicated in the sense of it took time easy to follow they make those instructions i mean i am the farthest thing from a chef you can imagine and and i was able to follow the instructions although we did find out we don't have a zester that's one item we need to go to target and grab yeah. a zester yeah, that was cheap. a big part They're of cheap. all three meals yeah yeah, yeah super cheap yeah. but we did um let's see which ones do we have we had the hickory um or the, the Hickory onion burger, I think it was. Mm. So it was like this caramelized onion yeah. sauce. Um, there was onion one jelly, ate. like an onion yes. jelly. Yeah. It was like an onion jelly. Yeah. The next one, there was like a fig, fig chicken. So it was potatoes, it was chicken, and then it was this rosemary and kind of a jelly kind of thing. Again, that balsamic yeah. vinegar with and rosemary. Slice the meat and then pour that sauce after you slice the meat in there and pour that in there. Yeah. Yep. It was super good. And I'm struggling to remember what the what the first one we had was. Um, but overall really impressed. Yeah. No, you know, it's fresh when it goes bad pretty quick. Like if we don't get to it in the week, it's like, it's too late and we got to throw some stuff away. So, um, super cool. I sent Mike a coupon to do the first week free. And if you want to do that too, I've always got those. So just send me an email, Jim at the average guy dot TV. It's free. I don't make any money. off. And now we've got more because I have some too. Yeah. 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 No loved. Uh, if you want, if you want to give it a try again, it's been, well, I just had, we made a spaghetti uh, two nights ago that I had last night and a little bit of it tonight. Made some, it didn't have a ton of it. So I made some French bread to, or some uh, sourdough toast to go with it. <laughs> Super great. And so if you're just not eating well, uh, give it a try. Uh, give and yeah, a now I can see why you talk about it though. Cause now I'm like logging in. I want to see like, what did you order for next week? What did I order? Uh, what do I have coming this next week? I have bruschetta chicken. Ooh. I have the uh, crispy chickpea. Tabola bowl. I don't know if I'm saying that right. Tabola yeah, bowls. Mm. And then the Korean uh, beef. I'm not even, I don't even know how to say this next word. B I B I M B A P. Bibimbap. Bibbibop. Bibbibop. Yeah, the Korean beef. That's, yeah. that's uh, what it is. But they look, they look really good. Here, I'll, I can actually share my screen and show you guys what I'm seeing real quick for those of you who want to see it. Yeah, we did that while you're doing that, and I'll I'll make it big. We did the sausage and roasted bell pepper pasta. Oh, yes, pretty great. There you go. There we go. Um, so, that was pretty uh, great. Yeah. yeah, the bruschetta chicken, crispy chickpea, and there's that Korean beef and the word I don't know how to say. But, I mean, these options just 
they all looked really, really good. Yeah, and you know, sometimes you think, oh, oh they're over, you know, they're overselling. No, not not the case. You know, like, I just, I was able to actually make the because I tried to look at the picture and make it look like that afterwards, and it's not too hard to do. Where are the tacos? It was tacos that we had. Yeah, that were really, really good. Um, we're doing, yeah, we're doing right there. Are those no, the, the, they weren't. Okay. Maybe they, you know, Jim, I think they kind of have a different menu each week. We do. They do. Oh, definitely. Yeah. So every week's different. I can't get some of the same things that I got the previous week. No. Okay. They were all, uh, yeah, no, they yeah. have a whole fresh set of, uh, of options. We're doing the figgy balsamic pork and the Cajun black and tapia top. Okay. So there's that tilapia. Yeah. Like Cajun tilapia, black. What was your other one? Yep. Uh, the figgy balsamic pork. There it is. Look at that yeah. figgy balsamic pork. Ooh, oh, that looks yeah. really good. Calorie smart too. So, um, yeah, pretty great. It's on its way. It gets here for us. It gets here on Saturday. So we, we do that Monday, you know, we do it during the week. So if you want to jump in on it, either send Mike or I an email. We got some coupons. We will get those out to you as well. Great way to kind of just mix it up a little bit. Don't forget, we thank the Patreon subscribers who every single month help us do what we do here. Appreciate you guys in doing that. I know we haven't done a post show in a while. We probably won't do one tonight either, but um, thank those. I thank you guys that do Patreon every single month and appreciate that. Join us in Discord, theaverageguy.tv slash Discord. Join us on Facebook, theaverageguy.tv slash Facebook. All, the, all those ways to get it done. We thank Maple Grove Partners for sponsoring the show, right? Providing both web and media hosting. Get secure, reliable, high-speed hosting for people that you know and trust. But speaking of that, we just released the Cyber Frontiers 57. So if you haven't heard that, go download that now too. And you've got uh, two other podcasts to listen to. And uh, we'll look forward to seeing you next week. We're live every Thursday, 8 p.m. Central, 9 Eastern, out here at the average guy.tv slash live. With that, we'll say goodnight, everyone.